All right, well, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Exodus chapter 3. And uh, we are looking at the life of Moses. Um, and I want to... Um, we, we just looked at Moses, and um, maybe you're in the state that Moses is when we left him. Basically, last week, if you weren't here, we talked about Moses um, being raised in Egypt, but then um, kind of in this uh, uh, kind of manslaughter way, he commits murder. And he, he's, a, he's a murderer, and he realizes that people have seen him. And even in spite of that, he, he leaves and goes to Midian. And remember Egypt... Uh, was pretty much the breadbasket of the world. It was you know, the place where there's the Nile River, and so you could grow crops there, and so you had a lot of food in an agrarian society. That means you had a ton of money. And here, Moses, for 40 years, has been in Midian, which is basically the desert, right? And he's there, and we ended last week with, even while he was in the desert, he could have gotten hard, right? But uh, he, he, his heart still stayed soft, and God in his love and mercy gave him a wife, uh, and his father-in-law was named Jethro, and he married this woman named Zipporah, and he stayed soft. But he's left in Midian, and I'm wondering um, in your life, and, I, and I've tried to think through my life, times that I've lived like this, I've realized that God has given me some mercy, and I think oh, I'm just grateful for that mercy. And I think Moses, he's committed murder, and now he's 80 years old. And he might be thinking, you know what, I'm just going to live out my days and try not to do anything stupid, you know? And I'm, that, that's kind of it. That, that's kind of baseline vitals for me. I don't want to do anything stupid, and I want to just keep humble, love my wife, build a family here in Midian, because that's what God has for me. And maybe you're living your life that way. I'm trying to hedge everything. I'm trying to not do anything dumb. That's my, that's, that's my statement, right? Like that, that's, that's my life's mission. Don't do dumb things. Don't do dumb things. So here's, here's Moses, and he's right there. And maybe... You or I would think, well, if God left us there and we just kind of maintained and existed, that would be good. But when we come to this passage, um, some of you think God's done with you and he doesn't have good things or even great things for you. And I think because of Moses' past, he's thinking, well, I'm, I'm a, I've got the scarlet A, right? I'm Hester Prynne with the scarlet A. I'm, I'm damaged goods. God can't use me. I've committed murder. Boom, there's no way. And here comes chapter 3, right? And we see Moses doing part of this family with his father-in-law Jethro. He's tending to flocks. And we think, okay, he's just going to live out his days. But, um, of course, you read the rest of Exodus, and, and he's used in, in mighty ways. And this is the start of that. Because something has to jar this man out of his kind of myopic thinking. Something has to, he has to change his entire perspective. How will God do that in your life this morning? How might God change your perspective on your life this morning? Because he's got more for you. He's got greater things for you to do. So here's Moses, minding his own business. 80-year-old man, 40 years in Midian. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There... The angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. 
When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they will ask me, What's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. What do you see in this passage? We believe that the Bible reads you. You don't read the Bible, right? And we, we believe that the Bible is living and active. And so this passage, what? This passage is reading us. What do you see ultimately in this passage? What I want, I want to take you through three principles um, because I'm a Presbyterian and we do three things every Sunday. Three. <laughs> no. <clears throat> when you think about um, finding God this morning, right? When you think about, hey, what, what do the scriptures say? Because the scriptures say this, that you can find God. You don't just search for God. You can find God this morning. And when you look at this passage, you can find him and you can hear the word of God and the will of God in your life. That's what we believe the scripture says. And so as we walk through this, I want you to think of three, I'm going to give you three points for finding God. Not just searching for God this morning. I want you to find God this morning. And how might he be talking to you and asking you um, to do great things in spite of your sin, in spite of the guilt that you feel for stuff you've done in the past, the stuff that you won't forgive yourself for, but God's saying, are you tired? Moses, I know, I know what you did. I saw you beat, beat the Egyptian. I saw it. You're just beating yourself up the rest of your life. Do you want to live? Do you want to be used by me? Hey, listen. And so when you think about this, uh, this particular passage, when you think about um, the burning bush, what do you first see here? I mean, look at verse two and three again. We're gonna, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, and here's, here's the important thing. Moses, it says that the Lord, or that, that he, I will go over and see it, which is not a great translation. If you look more at the Hebrew, it's, it's more like, hey, I'm going to turn aside from my everyday. You know what? I do this every single day, nine to five. I get up, and, um, 
and I, you know, I'm, I, I do my life this way. That's the way I do it. This is an ordinary day for the tailors, right? This is an ordinary day for your family. And here is an ordinary day for Moses. And all of a sudden, what does he see? The extraordinary. And he's got a decision to make. Am I going to get out of my every day? Am I going to go and look at this? Am I going to go and what? And, and, and engage with this? Am I going to turn aside? Moses doesn't say, well, randomly, I think I'll search for God today. What is, what is the burning bush, right? What is it? It's, 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 a, it's a disruption. And the burning bush here is a disrupting event. And when you think about finding God, what we see is in our lives many times, here will be an event. I don't know what's going on here. Some of us say, nope, I do my everyday thing. And Moses is making a choice. He's seeing this thing that doesn't add up, right? This miracle right in front of him, he's saying, okay, I can, I can turn away and go. Take the flocks over here. I just do my thing, right? I take care of my sheep. But he's seeing something, and something inside of him is feeling disrupted. And he's got to decide whether or not, what? He is going to pursue this disruption, right? What, what am I doing, right? What is my life about? Why am I so busy what is it accomplishing? What is the person, or what, what is this actually doing in my life? And, and we live with these questions, and here, this burning bush is something that what? It's something that contradicts a model that you might have in your life. It doesn't make sense. A burning bush? A burning bush is something that what? It's a paradigm bomb. It's a, it's a bomb that drops in your life and explodes categories you thought had rigid edges. And it's, it's saying, hey, look, a burning bush says, uh, you know, you used to think, like, if such and such is true, then this is true. If such and such is true, then and that's the way my life is set up. And all of a sudden, he drops this bomb. So if you're an empiricist, right, or empirical evidence is important to you, you say, well, I believe in natural cause. I, I don't believe in the supernatural. Everything has a natural cause. Well, what's a burning bush? Well, it's, it's a contradiction, <laughs> Because a bush is either what? It's either burning or it's either disintegrating. A, burn, a bush can't be burning and still be intact, right? This is a bush that burns, but it's not consumed. That is a contradiction. What do you do with a contradiction, right? If you don't have a supernaturalist view of reality, then the burning bush changes everything. If this world is all there is, then burning bushes can't happen. It can't. And God is saying, okay, I need to change your reality, right? In your life, how do they come? How does, how does a burning bush come? What, what are the forms of a burning bush in your life or in my life? I remember thinking, um, watching this, this program on um, families from the South Carolina shooter, uh, or from the South Carolina church that was having a prayer meeting where the shooter came in and shot you know, folks up in this church. And family members of victims in that were saying this. They were saying, I want to either talk to or just make sure that this shooter knows that I will forgive him. There it is. What? This guy came in and murdered your mom? This guy came in and murdered your brother, and you want to do what? You want to forgive him? That's a bomb. That's a bomb that drops in people's lives. Wait, wait, wait. You're, uh, how do you do that? I've never met a person like that in my life. That person is inexplicable. That person is a burning bush in your life, and you're like, how can they do that? I would just want to take an Uzi out and mow them down. 
That's all I want to do. I don't I haven't even thought about forgiveness. That person is a burning bush. Or maybe you've had one of these, like a train of thought that's inexplicable in your life, right? Um, secular world is all there is. Everything is an accident. Everything is just matter. Everything is matter in motion. Everything is chemistry, biology, and physics. That's all there is. But all of a sudden, the same secular people are saying there's moral absolutes. Wait, that doesn't make sense. There can't be. You, you can't have it both ways, right? And if, if that's really true, if matter is all we have, then there's no such thing as beauty. There's no such thing as love. All there is is chemistry. You, how do you reconcile that? And so when you begin to say, okay, this is the world I live in. I don't live in this Christian world. And you have this secular thought that all of a sudden turns to, wait, I don't have a foundation. It's a burning bush. Wait, how can I love? How can I be a secular person and I love? That's a contradiction. I gotta, I gotta explore that. I gotta follow the rabbit hole, right? Because if secularism, the way I've lived all my whole life is true, then there can't be injustice, right? There really can't be real love. There can't be beauty. People really aren't that valuable. So why is everybody freaking out about the shooter in Parkland? Because there's no value on anything. But all of a sudden, people feel what? They feel justice hasn't been done. And the question is, where does that whole idea of justice come from? It's, it's a thought that's inexplicable. It's, it's a type of what? Burning bush. What do you do with trouble? An inexplicable trouble in your life, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be upperly mobile. I'm going to work out really hard and have a rock-hard body. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work really hard and, and master my life and master my work. And then all of a sudden, I still feel empty. That is an inexplicable trouble. You look like Ken and Barbie, and you are living the American dream, and you, you aren't happy at all. What is going on? It's a burning bush. You have an inexplicable emptiness. And you know what? If Moses wouldn't have pursued that burning bush, the contradiction of a bush burning, if he would have just said, you know what? You would have never heard of Moses, right? He would have never met God if he wouldn't have uh, explored that because he was in an ordinary life and he was just in the stream. And here's what happens. If you want to meet God, if you want to find God, you have to turn away from that. You have to turn aside, as the scriptures say. Moses turned aside. He got away from his everyday, the way in which he thought the ordinary was, my, my everyday life. And hey, I got to search. Um, I, I've got I to I figure out what's going on. And here is where you have to be vulnerable and get out of your comfort zone. And that's hard. I get it. Um, and it's tough, but that's the first step. You have to make room. You have to make time. And so as you're pursuing this, maybe you're a Christian in the room and you think to yourself, well, he's really not talking to me then because I already know God. But wait, if you're a Christian, if you're a, if you're a, 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 a let's say, a, a quote, mature believer, um, what happens when, um, you know what, you're going along in life and you would say, because maybe the average West Towner says, uh, Jesus is my meaning in life, I'm a Christian, I'm born again. And then all of a sudden, you lose your job because you failed at getting enough clients and you want to commit suicide. What? Jesus is in my life, he is the meaning for my life, and I just lost my job and I want to commit suicide? That doesn't make sense. And then you begin to look that and you you realize, no, I thought Jesus was the meaning in my life, right? You thought, I thought Jesus was my righteousness. But when the church doesn't go the way I want it, 
Why do this flood of anxiety and fear enter into my life? Why when something goes wrong in my family, if I, things aren't like the way I thought they would be, why, why am I so nervous and anxious or angry? Why would I say those things, what, to my wife? Things I never thought I would ever say. Why? I'm depending on self. And there it is. When, when I realize I'm not that, there's a burning bush. There's a contradiction. I am the contradiction there in that moment. It's what, what's my reality? And here, we realize that God speaks his will, what? It's through disruption. That's the first step. And it's the first, it's the first step of engagement to really find God. When you see that burning bush, when you, when you engage with the initial what? The initial contradiction, these little contradictions that you see, you step towards them and you have to engage with them. God says, okay, you're on the road, right? You're on the road to meeting me. And then what happens? Um, what happens in the next step? You know, how, how, how much farther does, uh, does God go? What, what's the next step? After he says, after he turns aside and he comes on inside towards God, what do we realize? That God has something to say to him, right? So these little contradictions lead us closer to God and we realize that God actually has something to say personally to you. And what, what is it? Let's go to the verse uh, four and five. What would God say to Moses? I mean, notice this. I mean, talk about talking both sides out of your mouth, God. Moses, 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 right? Here, here I am. After calling Moses, Moses acknowledging that, I'm here. What does God say? Don't come any closer. Moses, Moses, hey, I'm here. Stop, turn around. You, you stay there. Little contradictions lead to big contradictions and you gotta deal with this, right? The big contradictions. Little contradictions lead to big contradictions. It was opening day in Little League, and I realized I am a very, uh, I'm a coach, and sometimes you just get into this, like, coach speak. You don't even really know what you're saying. You're saying stuff, baseball stuff, right? <laughs> so this one kid's up to bat, and he's trying, he's trying so hard. And so I, I, I wasn't even, like, paying attention to what I was saying. I was on the third base, you know, coach by. I'm like, hey, bud, hey, you need to um, keep your weight back. And I, hey, stay back, stay back. And then um, he missed it. I'm like, dude, you got to come forward. You just got to come forward to hit it. You know, and I'm, I'm in like full coach speak, you know, just well, not even making any sense. You know, he, you know, pitcher winds up. He said, hey, make sure you stay back, bud. You missed it again. Hey, you got to come forward, man. I mean, you know, just, and I kind of caught myself. I'm like, what am I doing? I mean, I'm just telling him two contradictory things. And he did kind of look at me funny, but um, here's Moses. And God comes to him in an absolutely incredible seeming, uh, a seeming contradiction, right? I'm going to tell you, on the one hand, Moses, here I am. And on the other hand, Moses, hey, you stop, right? I want you to stop. You don't come any closer. And you need to take off your sandals. What do you do when God does that? When you begin to explore, right, those streams, and it comes to this one big stream, and you're coming closer to God, and you're finding God, and he says, I need you. I'm right here. You stay there. I'm right here. You stay there. I'm right here. You stay. What do you do with that? Because that's the tension, right, that, that we live in. Anytime in the Bible you see a double use of a word, Moses, Moses, right? Martha, Martha, Jesus says, 
right? Absalom, Absalom, David. Hey, this is huge point of emphasis, right? I mean, think of intensity on steroids, right? That's what that means. Anytime you hear it, you hear that twice. And, and so all of a sudden God's coming and he's saying, okay, hey, you, I want you closer and I want you to go away, right? I want you closer, but I want you to stop and I want you to take your shoes off. This is holy ground. What is he saying here? What's going on? What, what is happening here? Have you ever had God tell you, hey, you need to know first and foremost that I'm holy God, right? You need to know that. If you want to find me, know this about me. I am a holy God. That's why God is fire, right? That's why God is a God of fire, because fire means holiness. Fire means justice. Fire means I am what I am, not what you want me to be, Westtown, Frank. I am what I am, not what you need me to be for your convenience right now. So when Moses said, what is your name? I need to know your name. God says, my name is, um, I mean, he didn't say, I am what you want, Moses. He said, I am what I am, right? Because if his name was, I am what you want, he would not be a fiery bush at all. I mean, what would he be? If he said that, I am what you want, Westtown, right? I'm looking for God, but, but you know, um, it's not working for me. I'm interested in being a Christian. You've ever had someone pursue Christianity like that? And they begin to say, do Christians believe this? I mean, if I become a Christian, will I have to do this or will I have to do that? Have you ever had someone ask you that? What's going on in that conversation? What I want or what I see them wanting, and at times definitely what I want, is I want a clay God, right? I want not a fiery God, but a clay God, so that when I touch God, God morphs into what I want him. I don't want him to be fire. Because if a God of fire touches you, you turn into clay, right? Not he's clay and you get to mold him. When he's fire, you become the one that's influenced. And so what God is saying is, hey, if you want the real God, you have to look for a God who actually can contradict you. If you want the real God, you have to be willing to see a God who's going to tell you things that you don't want to hear. Are you okay with that? Because if you want to find God, that's why he says, hey, you need to stay there and take your sandals off. Because are we really going to do this? Or are we going to play Christianity? I mean, are you, am I a vending machine, God? Right? You need me? Or am I who I am? And that's going to be um, tough. And so when somebody says, um, I have a girlfriend or I have a boyfriend, and I don't want to be a Christian, if that gets in the way of that, here's what you're saying, right? I mean, you're saying you want God, but you don't want God. You want your God. You are a contradiction, right? You're in the stream of life, and you're thinking, hey, I don't want to deal with this. And in a lot of ways, I stop being logical. Because when you begin to speak to God that way, you say, you know what? I know who I am before you. I'm going to come to you already establishing self. And you know what, God? You can influence me, but I need you. I need to use you. And, um, you know, I, you know what? I haven't even met you, God, but I want you to know, here are my baseline presuppositions. I know what sexual ethics are, right? I haven't even met you, but, but I know what my needs are financially, emotionally, and I'm going to come to you with that and see if you can help me. And when we do that, um, we, we don't even know who we are, Right? You can't even search for God because you're not looking for the real God. God is saying, do you really want me? When you come and he says, take your sandals off, do you want me, he's saying? 
You want me, the God of fire? Because I'm going to be who I am. But I don't want to play a game. And I think some of us come to church and we just say, all right, I just need a little, you know, my, my life needs a little bit of spiritual spirituality. So here's a little balance. And God says, no, no, no. You're dealing with a you know, puppet God. You're coming here to get a slice, right? I'm a spoke of the wheel. No, I'm the hub. I am everything. And everything flows out of that. Because Moses, man, um, I could see where he wouldn't want to deal with the real God, right? He, he doesn't want to deal with the real creator. If he is the creator, if there is a creator, you can't even begin to search for this God, a real God, without what? Without taking off your shoes. God, if you're there, what? I am willing to do things that right now I don't like. If you begin to say those things, then you're searching for God, then you're finding God. That's the real God, right? You're willing to say that. Reality is no longer what you want it to be. It's what it is. It's what God decides it is. And that, right, you have to deal with those types of contradictions. You have to look at God and say, okay, you know what? I gotta take off my glasses and I gotta put on the glasses, right? The, the glasses of scripture. So are you allowing God in your life to what? Um, be a God of fire. Are you okay with that? Because if someone came to me and said, hey, you know what, Frank? I wanna get to know you a little bit. I, I would like to get to know you. And if I responded to that person by saying, okay, fine, that's good, that's good. Yeah, you can get to know me. And if that person said, well, I, I like to think of you, Frank, as a, as, a, as a demanding, kind of a domineering person. They'd be like, whoa, you don't even know me. You, know, you haven't gotten to know me. How, how dare you think that's what I am? You can't, you can't know me by just saying that that's what I am. I, I, hey, um, I want you to get to know me, God says. And if you're going to do that, you've got to take off your shoes. And you're willing to find the real God, the God of fire. Where are you now? Are you okay with that? Because some of us have decided, you know what? No, I've got my... Um, I've got my non-negotiables, and God's saying, Moses, come on, take off your shoes, get close and stay, stay there. Get a little closer and you stay there. I, I, I'm directing all of this. It feels like a contradiction. We're supposed to be personal. You're supposed to be a personal God, and God's like, yeah, but I'm a God of fire. I'm a God of fire that wants to know you, but I'm a God of fire, but I want to know you. And it feels like there is a contradiction because ultimately when you look at this passage, what we realize is the burning bush is the contradiction at the heart of the biblical faith, right? The true God insists he is not, what? Um, I'm not just a little bit loving and really holy, and I'm not really loving and a little bit holy. He's saying to you and to me, I am absolutely holy and I am absolutely loving, right? I am, I am both sides of that. So when you think, you know, about the way you view God. Many religious people say he's holy God, so I'm gonna follow him. But follow a religious person around their church experience for a month. You know what you find? People that are around the church a lot, doing a lot of things without any joy, right? Without any fun. Because they do the thing, because God's holy, but everything is drudgery. Everything is, oh, here we go. Follow a, quote, person who thinks God is holy and I have to do the right thing to earn, uh, earn uh, my faith. But on the other hand, there's a lot of people that don't want that God at all and they are modern people and they love the idea of a God who just accepts. And you know who that God is? That's a Mr. Rogers God, right? Won't you be my neighbor? 
won't you please? Taking off his shoe, you know. Hi. Nice, right? Um, I am not a fiery God. I'm a sentimental God. That's what I am. And many people want your God to be sentimental and not fiery. That he accepts me. But how do people respond to a sentimental, fiery God? They are not passionate at all about it. Follow those people around. They talk about God as just a little sliver of their life. Yeah, I, I fit him in. I fit God in. He's a good, good guy. Good, good friend. Yeah, see him every, you know, just two Sundays a month. Sure, a little bit. The true God is a fiery God who says, I want a relationship of love with you. And this is, when you think about Jesus' word, he said this, we piped the flute for you and yet you wouldn't dance. We sang a funeral dirge for you and you wouldn't cry. What is he saying? He's saying here's the contradiction of Christianity. As Christians, we are the most optimistic people in the, on the face of the planet. We're, we're way more optimistic than the, the, you know, the biggest optimist in the world. And at the very same time, we are the biggest pessimist. Right? You want Oscar the Grouch? Put him on steroids. That's Christians because here's what we know. We know our own sin. We know how terrible our hearts are and how much we needed Jesus. But we also know Jesus. And you call yourself a, a, the power of positive thinking? That, does, that pales in comparison to the optimism of Christianity. We have the real love, the real hope. And so we should be the greatest optimist and ironically the greatest pessimist that the world has ever known. And that's what God is, is kind of presenting Moses with. Are you okay with that? Because it's going to feel like a contradiction. But when you hit that, you're finding God. When you feel both of those, no, no, you're finding him. You're moving into the realm that you need to. Remember, there's no other religion on the face of the planet that says this, be perfect or you won't get into heaven. God says that, right? And at the very same time, there's no other religion that has their God come down to earth and save everybody who, who, who he, is, he has elected. And so, when you deal with that, right? When you deal with that, how does that work in your life? When you feel God saying, are you okay with me being holy? But I'm not just, I'm not just the divine room monitor. I'm here to know you. But I'm gonna do and show you both of those on my terms. Moses, are you okay with that? Because if you are, then you know what? I will show you power that will turn the Nile blood red. I will show you power that will put frogs in the middle of Pharaoh's bed. I will show you power that will take this huge Gulf of Mexico, the Red Sea, and part it, and you will take a million people through it. If you will deal with the real God, not the God that you want, and I think that's what he asked us this morning. I don't want to play religion, Westtown. Are you that suburban, pretty church that plays religion? That you, you never get dirty. You're always, you know, you can't stand sweat. I don't want to be sweaty or gross. Hey, we're supposed to be the prettiest and the nastiest. That, that's, that's what a Christian is. It's both. And so, little contradictions, right? The burning bush leads us to big contradictions. And God begins to speak. And then the question is, is so okay, Taylor, what's, what's the solution? Then? Where are you leading us? What's the solution to this thing? Because it feels like, hey, we're here. The solution is verse two. <clears throat> there, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames. You ever, whenever, growing up, I always thought, it's just the voice of God, right? The voice of God in the, birth, in the, in the bush, but no, if you read it, you know. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames. So there's an angel of the Lord, where? In the burning bush. 
So whenever you see an angel, um, and anybody tries to worship an angel in, um, in the Old Testament, um, the angel always says, uh, get up, right? I'm a creature just like, uh, just like yourself. But here, when it's referred to as the angel of the Lord, right? There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire. How is it possible, right, that it could be brought together? And, and what it says is here, the Lord spoke through the angel. There, what, what, is, what is the angel functioning as? A mediator. That's what the angel is. The solution is in the angel. The, the angel is the mediator, right? This mediator was in the midst of fire. Why? Think about the Old Testament. The way you can live with a holy God and have a personal relationship with me is if what? Someone substitutes and take your punishment. That's what we know. So over and over again in the Old Testament, what happened? That, uh, hey, I'm gonna take your sacrifice. You're not gonna sacrifice people. I'll allow an animal to be sacrificed. And where do you place the animal? On the fire, right? The holiness of God. You're gonna sacrifice the animal, right, as a substitute onto or into the fire of God's holiness. And when you were guilty, you made a sacrifice, Old Testament Israel, and you asked for forgiveness. There was the substitute, right? Something had to be slain and put into the fire. What does the New Testament tell us? That there was a man, there was the one, right? Who what? Went in and by one sacrifice threw himself into the fire. He was consumed so what? So that you and I wouldn't have to be consumed. Because Jesus was consumed by what? The holy fire, the holy wrath of God. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. It all points to Jesus, right? We're able to what? Because of what Jesus did, what are you and I able to be? Well, we're able to be a burning bush, right? Because what's a burning bush? A burning bush is someone with the holiness of God in us, but it doesn't destroy us. And when you look at this passage, he's saying, look, hey, here's where we're going. I want you to burn right, with the fire of God and, and the knowledge of God. But just remember you're a bush. You are only a bush and you have the fire. And so when we live that way, right, a Christian is someone who's filled with power, right? A Christian is someone who's, who's filled with the power of God and a Christian is someone with beauty. And so at the very same time, we're just a bush, Martin Luther said it this way in Latin. I want you to say this out loud with me. He said, simul justus et peccator. Okay, let's do that one more time. Simul justus et peccator. So here's what he says. Here's what Martin Luther says. When you became a Christian, right, you are simultaneously just and you are simultaneously a sinner. At the very same time, you are just a bush, but you are, hey, you are just and holy. You are beautiful, but a bush. And so when you become a Christian, this is what you become. You are still a sinner, but you're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. What happened if we live this way? Some of you want to know what the will of God is in your life. And, you know, one of my buddies asked, uh, one of my seminary buddies was asking his professor where he should go be a, be a um, uh, he was trying to uh, be an assistant pastor. And, and the, the professor said, um, hey, um, it was between like three cities he had gotten job offers from. And he, and he said, hey, um, God's will is everywhere. Go where the money is, right? <laughs> so he did say that, which I thought was funny. But <clears throat> his, point, his point was this. 
you just, you're supposed to be a burning bush. And you know that. And you know that God, um, every tribe and every nation need the gospel. The point is, is that you're a burning bush. Are you that? Do you understand the fire that you have and that you're only a bush? If you are there, you're smack dab in the middle of God. And some of you are asking the question of what's my future without, hey, looking at this. And Moses had to be this, and he got there. This is what we know. Moses, the humble, stuttering leader who didn't ever want to walk into Pharaoh's court because he stammered over his words. He had to have Aaron help him, but he was the man. And so his humility plus his experiences, him searching for God and finding God and knowing the burning bush, I'd say he, he made him the perfect leader to get them out of Israel. And he used his, his faith and his humility. And I think that's what he calls us to do. What if we were powerfully humble in our marriages? You wouldn't have a dominant and passive. Um, when you look at a marriage, you would say, oh, they're the dominant one and they're the passive one. You wouldn't have that. They would just be, hey, no, we are both fire and we are both bushes. And if, if, we, if we know that, we stay humble and we stay confident. What if you did that? Uh, what if, if my kids knew that? To have well-adjusted, confident, and humble kids in my living room. That's a fun game of Pictionary, right? Because they can be confident, yet they keep their head on straight. That's fun. That's what, the way God designed it. What if we had a church? Hey, no, we know who we are. We know who we are as um, West Town. We know what we've done. But we also know it's totally been done by the Lord, and we're just vessels. If you are that way in your workplace, you change. You want to know what the future is. You want to know what God's will is. It's this. It's weird to be burning bushes. Fire of God plus only a bush. When we are there, we are right. We are, we are um, this contradiction to the world. You can't be humble without being depressed. And you can't be confident without being an egomaniac. The world says, you're either one or the other. And Christian says, no, no, we're this. We're always this. And the problem is, is that there's no formula for you or for me. And I can't give you one because the Bible says that's life, this side of heaven. You live in that tension. And to the extent that you want to go to that extreme or that extreme, you're going to find, you're going to get off the path. But if you stay here, families change, right? High school youth groups change. When you see a group Pat has led over the past five years, be confident. And he would say, I was so proud. I remember him saying at Camp Glockwell because I felt like our, our, um, our youth group was passionately worshipful and at the same time we didn't do any some of the knucklehead things the other youth groups did what he was saying was hey they knew their place right but they still felt the freedom to worship God I think man that's it I mean we're not gonna do it perfectly but if we get it and here Moses is walking into that type of life and his life changes forever I mean he is a game changer for the entire Bible what if your life could be that way because some of you have given up or some of you just haven't ever relied on God and you're just going to, you're going to get burnout or you're going to do something stupid because you think too highly of yourself. That's what the scriptures say. So we got to stay right here and we stare at Jesus, fully God, fully man. I can defeat Satan, all those temptations, take me out to the desert, Satan, and I will get on my knees and wash the disciples' feet. What if we were that type of church, that type of congregation, those types of small groups? We change, man. It's just a different game. I think we can be that. Um, we got to be confident. We got to be humble and stare at Jesus. It's the angel. The angel of the Lord is the key in this whole thing. We stay looking at him. We're good. Let's pray and ask God 
to work in our hearts. God, we're walking through the life of Moses, and uh, God, we know he felt a lot of shame, but here is a game changer for him. And we see him, and he begins to respond to you. And he's going to have to walk and stare at these Israelites being hit, making bricks without straw. And he's going to have to confront Pharaoh in the court. And uh, he's not going to know the future. And that's exactly where you want him, and it's exactly where you want us. God, kill the gods of security in this room, financial security, family security. May we find it in you. God, we stay right, we stay humble, and we stay confident. Um, Thank you for this passage. Um, Continue to make us the church, God, the family of God you would have us be in your name. Amen.